There is no better biohack than a good night's sleep. It prevents burnout, helps you make better decisions, improves your memory, consolidates memory. I mean, there's a lot of science behind sleep. And I talked about this before, but you listen to a guy like Michael Walker on the Joe Rogan podcast or read his book, Why We Sleep. He is incredibly dialed in on the science of sleep. And one of the things we have when we sleep is memory consolidation. That means when we learn something new, our brain will file that out of the short-term RAM, random access memory, into our long-term memory, where we can actually embody and ingrain this into our being. So we can actually have something long-term. We understand this new skill. We understand this second language. It comes to us as we need it in the future. That all happens when we sleep. It's the most important thing we do for cognitive function. It's the most important thing we do for cellular health in the brain. When we talk about clearing out things like amyloid beta plaque, what leads to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, all these things happen. This cellular renewal and cleaning out effect happens when we sleep. What else happens? Well, if we lose sleep, we have a bump in a hormone called ghrelin. That goes up. It's a fight or flight hormone. It's also the hormone that makes us hungry during the day. So if you've ever lost the night of sleep and you notice the next day you were a bottomless well that couldn't be fed, that's the hormone ghrelin. Ghrelin goes up, leptin goes down. Leptin is the hormone that makes us feel full and satiated. So to say that sleep is important for total human optimization, that is a fucking understatement. There is no single thing you do that's more important for fat loss, cognitive function, recovery gains, and all of it. So why sleep on a shitty mattress? There's just no point to doing that. Lisa has made the best mattress I've ever slept on for a fraction of the price of other big name brands like Tempur-Pedic. It ships right to your door, highly convenient. You get to try it for 100 nights risk-free. They have uh, just an amazing program. They're a green company. They plant one tree for every mattress sold, and they donate one mattress for every 10 sold to people who need them. Don't miss the summer savings. Get $160 off at lisa.com slash on it. All right, you're probably wondering why a guy who pretty much tries to face all possible aspects of human optimization is going to talk to you about alcohol, but bottom line is, I'm a fucking human being, and I like to alter my states of consciousness. I like to play with different substances. That's not a mystery. But really, when you think of what is America's drug, what is the drug that we all take? What's the sacrament that we use to open ourselves up, to dumb down our inhibitions and laugh a little harder and talk a little bit more openly and intimately with one another to dance a little more freely and not give a fuck what other people think about it's alcohol, right? And there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. And that's why I want to talk to you guys about dry farm wines. We've brought on Todd white for today's episode, the CEO of dry farm wines, who is just a fucking fantastic guy. And we're going to dive in a lot of what makes this wine so special but truly, it is one of the best wines I've ever had. It's organically or biodynamically farmed. That means absolutely no pesticides, herbicides, or chemical sprays. Bottom line is, you don't get hung, a hangover from it. Now, now, of course, you can have, if I had 10 bottles of that, I'd be hungover. But there's one gram of carbohydrate per bottle. That means I can stay in a ketogenic diet while consuming this wine. And I can have a couple bottles of wine and not feel like shit the next day. I can't say that about any other alcoholic beverage on the planet. 
So you want to optimize alcohol consumption? There's no better way than Dry Farm Wines. It's been promoted by a ton of top health leaders, guys we've had on the show, guys we want on the show, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who's coming on in a few months, Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf, Abel James, JJ Virgin, Dr. David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain and Brain Maker, just fantastic people that are in this space, moving the needle on health and wellness, all supporting this company. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. If you go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash on it, you can get an extra bottle for a penny. These are the best bottles of wine you're ever going to have. Test them out. Dryfarmwines.com forward slash on it. Our guest today is Todd White. He is the CEO of Dry Farm Wines. Dry Farm Wine has taken every step possible to make sure that when you get drunk or you want to have a good time, that you don't pay consequences for your actions. Now, obviously, there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything in life. And I think the way we break it down in this episode really shows the detail of how many steps these guys take to ensure that you can have a good time without suffering for it. Thanks for listening. On a podcast, Todd, how you doing, brother? I am awesome, man. Excited to be here and just anxious to share my story about wine. Yes, I love that. Let's let that anxiety out of the bag. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We, yeah, we exactly. got we got dry. Farm how about wine. excited? Yeah, I'm not go. anxious. I'm excited. <laughs> well, we've been, we've been running around like chickens with our head cut off at Paleo FX, which is an excellent event each year, but it's also one that's uh, it's hectic to say the least. You know, there's a lot of people. I'm sure you're getting pulled in 30 different directions at once. And uh, you work with the, quite a few of the influencers there. I think I first I heard do. About Virtually you. every influencer at Paleo FX is a partner of ours or endorses our product or has written about us in books. And so, uh, yes, you know, it's nice to be in this quiet studio because when you're in that hall with all that noise and people, it's, you know, it's nice to be out of there and over here at your quiet office. Yeah, I had so. this idea that I was going to podcast uh, in tandem, you know, side by side with uh, Barbell Shrugged. And they have that nice little studio. Um, I guess it's by the movement area. Uh, well, people have, that haven't been to Paleo FX won't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So pointless right. to, to describe right. the location. It's but just a huge building. It is with a lots huge, of people in with it. With a shit ton of people. Of yeah, and incredibly yeah. loud. And I, the second I saw them loud. podcasting, I was like, this does not sound, this is not going to sound well for people. Right. So right. let me see who I can snake back over. I really appreciate you taking your time Thank to you. come here. I'm happy um, to be here. So let's let's jump right in. You know, you guys have a wine that's different from anything available in the market, and uh, you know, wine is my favorite drunk. It always has been, but there's also a consequence for that drunk, and, sure. and that usually has to do with some of the issues with how the wine is made and some of the additives thrown in there. And uh, you know, that's that's not a renewable experience that I want to get back to. It's something that I'll do, you know, here and there. But uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to polish her bottle she's not a big person but we went through a bottle last night together zero hangover oh wow we did give you that bottle yesterday yeah, brother, so you yeah. drank it last night yep no hangover it was amazing whatsoever. wine too it's absolutely incredible yeah 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 it was amazing wine well let's dive down into what what this is about so what's happened in the wine supply is exactly the same thing that has happened in our food supply so we've got a handful of characters manufacturing most of the wine so it's been massive corporate consolidation driven by greed and money. The same thing that's happened in our food supply. So I'm going to share a bunch of dirty, dark secrets about the wine industry with your audience today. And we'll start with this consolidation. Um, what's happened is 52% of all the wines manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant conglomerates. The top 30 companies make just over 70% of all the wines in the United States. 
Dry Farm Wines, the company that I founded, we do not sell any domestic wines. There are no domestic wines made in the U.S. that meet our health criteria, and we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But so you've got massive consolidation. Your audience doesn't know this because when they walk into a bottle shop or a grocery store, they see hundreds of different bottles. The fact is that these companies, these massive conglomerates, hide behind thousands of bottles and labels. So these multi-billion dollar conglomerates who are manufacturing most of the wine in the United States are hidden to your listeners and to all of us because they're hidden behind all these brands. What they want to do is sell story and have you believe that you're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau. When in fact, what you're really drinking from is from a massive factory in Central California, which is where most of these wines are made. So anyway, that's that's the first point of what's happened in the wine business over the last 50 years. More importantly, and as you mentioned in, in, in your opening comments, the other couple of dark secrets that your audience doesn't know about is that there are 76 additives approved by the FDA. And all of the facts that I'm going to share with you, including the size of the industry and all the the facts that I'm about to share with you, you can easily find online. So all of this, if you, if you if Google you, it, folks. Yeah, yeah. If you Google, Google it, it, I mean, this is not <laughs> marketing spin. This is like the real fucking deal, right? If if you Google FDA wine additives, you'll go right to the government page that shows you the 76 additives that are approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. This is not only an American problem. This is a global problem. There are 56 of these additives approved by the by the EU. So here's why you don't here's how you don't know about these additives. F- wine is the only major food group without a contents label on the bottle. Right? So you don't know what's in it. And the reason there's not a contents label on the bottle is because the wine industry has spent millions of dollars in lobby money to fight contents labels on the bottle. Just and, like Monsanto fighting right. to keep GMO off the label. Exactly. And so the reason that they don't want the label on there is because they don't really want you to know what's in it. Because most wines, almost all wines, if they had a contents label on it, would look just identical to the labels that you see on other processed foods. So it would have a whole bunch of chemicals and oftentimes dyes and other color agents in the wine that you had no idea that existed in the wine. The wine industry wants you to believe that it's just fermented grape juice, right? But in fact, it's not. It's not even real wine. Now, what we sell and drink, what I gave you yesterday that you drank, is real wine, what we call honest wine, a philosophy of artisanal pure wines, right? So the wine that you drank yesterday, which was one of my favorite grapes, the Plussard, is grown in the Jura region in France. Uh, all of the wines that we sell, primarily, we have four producers in South Africa, and the rest of our producers are spread across across Europe. We work with about 300 family farms. They're very, very small farms that make what are known categorically as natural wines. A natural wine is a confusing term to most consumers because people, most everyone believes that all wines are natural. Isn't wine a natural product? Well, in fact, it's not. Most of the wines manufactured in the United States and across the world are industrially farmed, meaning that they're using herbicide and pesticide and other chemicals and nitrogen and, very importantly in the U.S., also irrigation. You may know the name of our company is Dry Farm Wines, and what that means is that all of our wines are grown without any irrigation. So they're grown completely naturally. 
right? And that's the foundation for us of a natural wine. And then all chemical-free, organic, or biodynamic farming. And then very importantly, I know it will resonate with you, is that natural wines are fermented with wild native yeast that are indigenous to the vineyard where the grape is grown. And what that means is that every grape grown has yeast on the skin. It collects it through the air. And in a natural wine is spontaneously uses spontaneous fermentation. In other words, they're fermenting with this wild yeast that's on the skin of the grape. Commercial wines, including all the wines you see in your grocery store and mo most every wine you see in a bottle shop, is fermented with genetically modified commercial yeast that's bred in a lab. And we don't really know what that means from a health point of view because there's no real studies on it. We just know the experience that you had when you drink this bottle of wine, you feel differently than when you drink a commercial wine, right? And so um, in addition to that, there are no additives, alterations, or changes to these wines. So once they're fermented, they go into tank for storage or aging, and you know, out comes the natural wine product without any additions or subtractions to it. In addition to that, you... Dry Farm Wines, uniquely, we're the only health-quantified wine merchant in the world. We do independent lab testing on every wine. And we're looking for several things in those lab tests. First of all, it has to be sugar-free, and most commercial wines contain sugar. I'm ketogenic. I've been ketogenic for about four years, and most of the people I work with are also keto. Uh, in addition to that, we just, we just avoid sugar. So sugar is one thing that we're looking for. Alcohol is another. We don't sell any wines over 12.5% alcohol. Alcohol is toxic and dangerous, and one of the things that cause you to feel bad and have hangovers is the dehydration caused by excess alcohol. Commercial wines today have been rising in alcohol content for about a decade. Uh, to date, commercial wines generally land somewhere between 14.5% and 17% alcohol. Most of the wines I drink, wine I gave you yesterday was 12%. Most of the wines I drink are between 11 and 12% alcohol. But here's another dark secret of the, of, of the wine industry. If it reads 14% in the grocery store, now most people don't even notice how much alcohol is in wine. They just think it's just wine. But actually the wine, the alcohol can vary quite dramatically. But here's another collusion between the U.S. government and the wine industry is that the alcohol stated on a bottle of wine by law is not required to be accurate. So if it reads 14%, under the law, it can be as high as 15.5%, and you don't know it, right? So we, te we lab test every wine, looking for alcohol, sugars, mycotoxins like ochratoxin A, which is mold that you hear a lot um, in the coffee industry. Um, U.S. wines are not required to test for mycotoxins, so no U.S. wine is tested. The only time a U.S. wine gets tested for ochratoxin A or other mycotoxins is if it's exported to Europe mm. where, where testing is required. So there's, just, there's a lot to know about how to drink a natural, clean product. And you could probably also comment on, I mean, it tastes different. It's cleaner. It's more friendly with food. Alcohol is not friendly with food. Yeah, it was, it was smooth. And one thing that I, I mean, obviously... There's a couple of things I want to touch on there. Number one, younger people are going to be like, don't we want more alcohol? Isn't the point to get drunk? And the thing is, I'm not a big drinker being, being in ketosis most of the year, things like that. But I do like drinking socially. And I also don't like to pay for that in the long term. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to 
sacrifice the day coming up as a dad with a three-year-old who has balls to the wall energy all day long because I paid for it the night before, you know? And uh, so it is nice to have something where I can get that good, clean buzz and really experience that in the evening that I choose. And then when it's over, it's over. There's no, there's no lingering consequences of that. Or what I would call negative remnants. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want you to talk about something that Mark was talking to me about. Uh, one of the guys that works for you, he's been at the booth and really cluing me in on quite a bit of your product. You know, you talk about the fact that you guys are dry farm wines and the difference between using irrigation and not. And he talked about, you know, roots curling up when the water comes from the top versus diving down as deep as 30 feet to find water and what that looks like with the microbiome of the soil. Can you dive into that a bit? Yeah. So an irrigated grapevine, irrigation is very new to grape farming. So irrigation didn't come to the United States until 1973. Now virtually every grapevine in the United States is irrigated. The only reason you irrigate a grapevine is to increase yield and to create a heavier fruit. So when the, when the fruit, when the berry is filled with water, it weighs more. Now there's a, there's a whole host of problems associated with that. And I'll talk about a few of them, but you, you, you irrigate a grapevine for money, right? It's illegal in most of Europe to irrigate grapevines. It's, it's a crime. It's against the law, right? These, these Appalachian-based rules are very strict as to how you can treat a grapevine. And it's illegal to irrigate in most of Europe. And the reason being is Europeans who've been making wine for over 3,000 years know what we know. The moment you fill the berry, and common, this will make common sense to you, the, the moment you fill a berry, a grape berry, with water, you dilute the concentration of flavor. You dilute the character of the fruit. That, so, so just from a quality point of view, filling the berry up with water just doesn't, it makes for a lower quality fruit, a lower quality wine. But in an, in an irrigated grapevine, you have a root ball that's about three feet in diameter right? Because the, 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 the vine gets all of its nutrient. It's also fed liquid nitrogen through the same tube, right? So it's getting fertilizer through the same tube. So there's a little tube just above the, dr the trunk of the vine, and that's where it gets its water source from. An unirrigated grapevine will have a root structure that can be 30, 40, 50 feet deep as it struggles in its search for water and nutrient. Now, that struggle is really fundamental to the character of the fruit and the quality of the fruit that the vine puts out because it's struggling not only against the earth to find moisture and nutrient, but it's also struggling against its neighbor and fighting against its neighbor, which is why they why grapevines are planted close together is this, this intentional desire by the farmer to create this struggle between the plants, Right. And so that struggle builds character in the fruit, just like in resistance training, right? Just like in anything that, that creates resistance builds power, right? The same thing in, in, in nature and in farming. When, when the vine has to struggle, that struggle creates a stronger character of fruit. And so it's, so again, irrigation for grape farming is largely an American idea. And grapevines have been living without irrigation all over the planet for about 10,000 years. Hmm. So. Talk a bit about how uh, pesticides and herbicides. I mean, obviously, I went down the rabbit hole with, with Max Lukavir, the author of Genius Foods. Excellent guy. 
Um, on Paul, Max. Great yeah, guy. Great phenomenal guy. guy. We were talking about polyphenols in uh, dark chocolate and olive oil and really why those are created by the plant and how herbicides and pesticides really minimize the production of polyphenols. It's true. It's true. So you'll have significantly higher polyphenol production in organically farmed fruit as opposed to industrially farmed food. Uh, we only drink and sell organic or biodynamic wines. And biodynamic wine, biodynamic is a prescriptive form of organic farming. Uh, so you can search on the internet. We don't go down the wormhole. But Rudolf it's, Steiner. Was, yeah, it's Rudolf yeah. Steiner. Okay. Yeah. So um, there are just over 800 polyphenols in red wine. There are significantly fewer in white wines, which is the reason red wine is thought to be the healthier choice of the two wines. Uh, the polyphenols primarily get in wine from skin contact, with contact with the seed and the skins. And for those in your audience who don't know how how exactly how wines are made, if you squeeze the grape of a red grape, if you squeeze the juice from a red grape and you squeeze the juice from a white wine grape, they're both clear. Both 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 will be clear. Red wine gets its color from contact with the skin during a period called maceration. So what happens is that you press the uh, the juice from the red wine grape. It's clear. You put it into a tank and add the skins and seeds back into the tank. And it's from the skins that red wine gets its color. And so it's also skin and seed contact where most of the polyphenol content comes in. And as Max noted, uh, and as you mentioned, polyphenol content is much, much richer in an organically farmed grape. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's it's one of the cool things that I've been learning about uh, just in product development here at Onnit. Most of the time, we think of polyphenols. People associate that with just like general positivity, like oh, it's an antioxidant, or oh, it's right. a this or that, you know. And you just lump it into some cool category. Scientists just told you you need to fill, you know. But really, it's they facilitate so much more than that. They can help with cross reactions in the body. They can potentiate all other chemical re reactions in the body. Uh, just from a nitric oxide standpoint alone, polyphenols help upregulate enos and make more nitrogen or nitri nitric oxide from the abundance of arginine. So without polyphenols, you're kind of you're, you're pigeonholing yourself. You're, you're bottlenecking your own production of this wonderful thing that gives us a pump that you know makes men erect or gets the juices flowing for women. You know it works for both sexes. But um, yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. I was just interviewing Dr. David Perlmutter earlier today, and um, he talked about the the really positive impact that they also have on gut biome, uh, and so as well as you know ferment, fermented foods and other other sources of uh, of these gut biome positive impact. But uh, so I, I want to come back to the ketosis thing for a moment because it's I think it's we're known as the keto wine, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Domic. Dominic Diagostino, who I'm sure you know his work. Probably... Yeah, that's who I first heard about you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. He, well, he was the guy that put put you on my radar. Right. So uh so so Dr. Dom endorses our wine and has lab tested himself with our wine. So our wines will not take you out of ketosis. I drink uh one to two bottles a night, usually about a bottle, bottle a day. Um we do blood testing um as the gold standard for uh, for ketosis. Uh, it has no impact on either my blood glucose or ketone production because uh, there's no sugar in it. And so um, uh, it will not take you out of ketosis. The wonderful thing about wine that, and you touched on this earlier, I think 
the, the great thing about wine is that wine, and particularly these low alcohol, clean wines where you're going to feel great and have an energetic buzz, is that it just lifts up, it just lifts the euphoria. It actually has been shown to enhance creative, uh, creative expression in, in low doses of alcohol. Right. I mean, there's a point where we get to a dosage level, and this is the reason that spirits are particularly concerning, is that when we reach an alcohol dosage level that takes us out of creative expression, we start to get messy. Right. So the way we the way we enjoy wine is around the dinner table. Even though we're in the wine business, and it's very common to drink in the daytime in the wine business. We none of us do tastings or drink during the daytime. I don't recommend that people drink during the daytime in part because it's going to shut down fat burning. I mean, anytime we take in, uh, you know, a substrate energy source that can't be, that can't be absorbed by the body, like alcohol as an example, you know, we're going to shut down fat burning and the body is going to turn its attention to, to, um, to dealing with this energy source that's come in exogenously. Right. And so you go, you and, uh, so I, I don't, as a result, I don't drink during the daytime. I also don't like the experience. But around the dinner table, and particularly with family and friends and new friends and old friends alike, was just one of the reasons alcohol is bonding, you know, is because it raises up this sense of euphoria, this sense of place and moment, right? It's kind of magical in that way. It's, it's, uh, it's poetry in a bottle, right? It's, it's, it's very, it's very, um, it's very ethereal in this way. And it also lowers our window of vulnerability, right? And increases our ability to love, right? And anytime you can find any kind of potion, in my view, that increases your ability to love and express yourself, this is a pretty wonderful thing. It's America's favorite drug, you know? I, I, it really is. Other than coffee, maybe. Yeah, yeah <laughs> other than coffee. But I, I think, you know... I, Aubrey Marcus and myself are no strangers to a laundry list of chemicals. And, right. and uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that you're making something that's so popular really accessible to people that's, that's positive. You know? And I don't know how large the keto audience is that listens to this podcast. I've, I've only recently had a couple keto guests on, and it's something that's a big part of my life. I'm pretty outspoken about it. was on Rogan's. Um, but you know, one thing that I try to drive home to people is that even if you're not in ketosis, you don't want to have shit carbohydrate sources. You know, if you're going to eat carbs, do it right, and you certainly don't want to drink your carbs. You, right. you, you know, if you're going to eat a sweet potato with dinner, go for it. You know, sure. I, I recommend people read Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf so you can figure out which carbohydrates are right for you. But regardless of that, you don't want to slam them through you know protein shakes and different sources outside of real food. You know, so it's really nice that that's something you're looking for in the wine because I certainly don't want to drink sugar ever, whether I'm choosing to carb backload or it's summertime and I'm being a little bit more open with carbohydrate backloading. Maybe the training's picked up. Bottom line is I shouldn't be taking that in through liquid, you know? No question about it. You certainly don't want it hidden. So in other words, wines, sugar is hidden in wines. And because the acid in wines can be quite high, you can't even as professional tasters, we can't taste sugar. The only way we know whether a wine is sugar-free is to lab test it. Because if the acid level is high, and it's just like when you make lemonade, you can add a bunch of sugar and it still tastes sour, right? And so it's the same thing in wine. It can contain sugar, but even as a professional, I can't taste it. And I certainly don't, certainly don't want to drink it. 
Yeah. Uh, and so they're oftentimes hidden hidden sugars in wine. If uh, if I'm gonna con- if I'm going to eat sugar, if I choose to do that, at least like to know that I'm doing it, right? Yeah, hundred so, percent. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. The uh, you know the 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 other interesting thing about what we do is that you know we're making a small contribution on making the planet a safer place. You know, without the lack of with with without industrial farming practices, and also supporting. We work these natural farms are very small they they're very you can't make wine in any real quantity without the use of chemicals and additions because it's too risky for bacterial um, invasions there are too many risks when you start making wine same reason that winemaker uses a commercial yeast as opposed to the native indigenous yeast is because it's too difficult to work in any quantity with these native yeasts. They're too fragile, they're too temperamental, they require too much coddling by the winemaker, which is the reason that when a commercial winemaker makes their wine using a commercial yeast, the first thing they do is pour sulfur dioxide into the juice to kill the native yeast because they don't want the native yeast being a part of the commercial yeast, so they kill the native yeast and then they inoculate it with this commercial yeast. So there's uh, you, but these are small family farms. So we're, you know, able to support uh, oftentimes multi generational landowners uh, across the world who are who are farming responsibly and farming chemically free. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing and, and something that's overlooked. Oftentimes, you know, we we just take what our government tells us as truth and oh hey that you know how would they put that in the food supply if it's bad for us? Well, look no further than fucking aspartame look no right. further than glyphosate like when right. there's big fucking money on the table they don't give a shit how you turn out they it's, really don't it's about money and greed and on the glyphosate issue i don't your audience may have seen on social media because it's been pushed around quite a bit particularly within our audiences uh that glyphosate has been found in american wines um in a study two years ago um across three appellations in, in California by a group out of Minneapolis called Better Moms for America did a glyphosate study on both organic and non-organic farms. And this is really interesting. The glyphosate was found present in both organic and non-organic farms. And it's speculated now that how it's getting in the wine is through irrigation. Because the way glyphosate or Roundup is applied, and I might mention Roundup is the number one applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards by a wide margin. It's commonly used even in even in your top appellations. the The way it's applied is very close to the ground, uh, and it's typically hand applied. It doesn't really create an environment for overspray. Right. So if you're talking about wheat farming where glyphosate is being applied from the air, you know, from from a crop duster, you've got it's very common to have now overspray issues owned to neighboring organic wheat farms. However, in grape farming, that's not the way it's applied. It's applied very, very close to the ground, right underneath the right underneath the vine. And so there's not really an opportunity for classic overspray. So it's now being speculated that, in fact, it's getting in the wine through irrigation. So, um, which is another reason that if that's true, that's not been proven, but if that's true, it's another reason to drink dry farm wines. Not my dry farm, but any dry farm wine, which is going to be primarily wines from Europe. 
Yeah. And that's, that's really, it's really concerning, you know, I mean, not to people who don't know, but the more, you know, the more you're kind of like, Oh, fuck, this is, this is an issue. If it's an organic wine, it's an issue if it's in our water supply, because that means we're taking this in, even if we're not knowingly or, or choosing to do so. And one of the things that, that has become very interesting to me and, and Dr. David Perlmutter is big on this as well, is the fact that when we spray glyphosate, a known carcinogen, it destroys the microbiome of the Absolutely. soil, which hurts the earth long-term. And it also fucks up our microbiome, right? which is as you know, put in his work in Grain Brain 2013, Brain Maker 2015, two excellent books, 80 to 90% of our neurotransmitters are made by our gut microbiome. So when we start to alter that, we're really messing up neurochemistry. We're messing up how we sleep, how we think, how we feel, how we operate in the world, cognitive ability and executive function. It all takes place in the gut first. So as we tamper with that, we're, we're fucking up the whole system. You know, it's yeah. not just, um, I, I pooped weird. I had diarrhea. It's like, we're really altering this entire organism to be a human. Well, then the rampant overuse of antibiotics and all the other Western medicine that, uh, I mean, he talked about that this morning in an interview as well, that, you know, Western medicine is not designed to keep people healthy. You know, it's designed to sell pharmaceuticals, right? And so, um, and you and your audience and us, we, we spend a lot of time and effort eating clean, trying to stay chemical free. I don't even use commercial toothpaste. I mean, I make my own toothpaste. I'm just, you know, one of the things about our company that I think, people really get a sense and feel for is that, you know, we live like you, we walk the walk, right? So this is not marketing spin. I'm not here trying to sell wine, um, you know, with, with, with a bunch of marketing spin. The fact is we're in this business because we're, we're health fanatics. We wanted a better way to drink and we went down this path of kind of biohacking wine, right? And discovered these processes quite by accident. Uh, just because I'd gotten to a place where I couldn't drink. I've been a lifelong wine drinker. I love to drink wine. I got to the place not long after I became pretty serious about a ketogenic diet. I just got to the place where I just couldn't drink wine anymore. I quit drinking for a while in a period I referred to as suffering through sobriety. Right. <laughs> I did 18 so, months. Yeah, I'm not into it. it I'm not into it. But uh, so what I'm really into is drinking pure, clean, healthy natural wines and there just wasn't an outlet for that the other amazing thing the amazing thing about these wines is that because they're not well understood they're not that expensive right so these are all handcrafted wines that average in price about 22 dollars a bottle which for a fine artisan handcrafted wine product that's a pretty reasonable price you know so even if you go in your grocery store and look at you know kind of leading american brands you're going to see them at 25 and 30 dollars for like you know, well-known, yeah, yeah. kind of house brands. And so, and <clears throat> it doesn't matter what you pay for a bottle of wine. Typically, whether you pay $150 or $15, you're drinking chemicals, right? Or additives of one kind or another. Yeah, and you got to pay for that later, no matter what. Well, you're going to pay for it at the moment. I can't even drink. I, I was on a plane the other day and actually drank a commercial wine, a well-known wine in California that sells for about $75 a bottle retail. And I was not even halfway into the first glass. I don't normally drink on planes, but for whatever reason, I, wherever I was, I was going to take a nap or something. I decided to to have some wine. And um, and I got a headache, like, you know, pretty immediately, right? So, I mean, I'm super sensitive to it now. I can feel it. 
That's you can more, also yeah. taste it and you can smell it. You know, once you're away from it, once you drink a natural wine, which virtually no one has drank because they're very difficult to get, we're the largest buyer and seller of natural wines in the world. And, and one of the reasons is that it remains so affordable is that they're just so, they're, they're not known and they're difficult to sell, difficult for the producer to sell. Until we came along, you know, the way Americans buy wine is they walk in and they buy a brand they know. And that brand that they know is supported by massive advertising campaigns, right? And so that's how they buy wine or they buy it based on some arbitrary rating. So these small family farms in Europe who had virtually no access to American consumers because American consumer walk in and there'd be a hundred bottles there. They don't know which one is natural. They don't know what it means. They don't understand it. And so these wines were very difficult for these farmers to sell, right? Then we came along and put health quantification to it. As I mentioned earlier, not only are they organically farmed and, and organically and naturally made, but we do independent lab tests behind that. So then we brought a quantification to it, a quantification to healthy drinking. And alcohol, touching back again on the actual alcohol, the actual alcohol content is really, really important, which is, again, why we only sell low alcohol wines. I mean, you mentioned, and I think young people get this too. too we, we do get this, this, this argument, well, will I still get high? Do I still get, well, yes, you get high. You know, you just have to drink an awful lot of it to get drunk. Right. And particularly as you age, I mean, this idea of getting drunk, even into your 20s and 30s, this idea is just not, first of all, it's not healthy. Right. It's not healthy for your brain. It's not healthy for your gut. It's not healthy for your liver. It's just not healthy to, 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 to abuse like any drug. Right. And alcohol is not my drug of choice, it happens to be my cultural drug of choice. Right. But just like with any drug, we have to be, you know, cautious and conscious of of dosage and and set and setting and how we interact with it. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, it's something that really, and, and myself included, you don't think about until you turn thirty, and then you think about it further when you're thirty five, and you think about it further every five years it goes by, because you can't drink like when you were twenty. You really can't, and it's funny how that works out, but. Old people are right. The body fucking slows down. You know, time well, it, speeds up. It, it does. It just doesn't. It shit does not get processed in the same way. It, you know, it does, and which is why our diet is so important and why I'm ketogenic. I mean, because you get the. I love the proverb. You know, we, in biohacking, we oftentimes, um, we oftentimes experiment with with different diets or different practices that. There may not be specific scientific evidence to support practices that we may begin. The point is, I, I think I love the proverb, to feel is to understand, right? And even before I knew as much as I know now about the ketogenic diet and the scientific evidence around it, even before I knew as much as I know now, I knew I felt a lot better, Yeah. right? I knew I had higher energy. I knew I had improved memory. I knew I had better cognitive function. So as a, re, as a direct result of, uh, of my diet and now my intermittent and extended fasting protocols. So I only eat once a day. I eat about six o'clock at night. And for me, going before that, I was on lean gains eating uh, twice a day within a six-hour window, fasting for 16 to 18 hours. When I went to 24-hour intermittent fast, which was about two years ago, 
I thought it was like, for me, it was like a huge leap forward in terms of performance and health. Hugely. Really? So I've, I've done a few extended fasts, five days water only, probably a handful of three-day water fasts, and I don't know, maybe a dozen 24-hour fasts. And I've noticed I, I really do like the 24-hour fast. It's convenient to know I'm going to eat at 6 o'clock, and then I'll eat at 6 o'clock the next day and not to fucking worry about it. And if I feel hungry, I'm going to have water. You know, yeah. I'll just hydrate better. Um, I've wondered that, you know, I, I, I look towards that as I age further as a real possibility for me. And I do, my wife and I do 16, eight intermittent fasting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what does your training look like? I mean, you're a fit dude, like everyone that, at paleo effects, you expect everyone to, to look the part. Well, they don't. It's not quite the case. There's a lot of people <laughs> still on the search for their health and wellness. But, right. you know, when we were at your booth, I was like, damn, everyone here is shredded. It's pretty, it's uh, pretty cool to see that. We, uh. We have twenty. Uh, we have twenty people on staff. We pay for everybody's gym membership. We uh, uh, eighteen of the twenty are ketogenic. Um, the other two are kind of low carb, maybe, but but certainly not keto. Um, yes, they're all ripped, and uh, and uh, and they're all so yeah. It's. Um, uh, and most of them are doing 16, 18 hour intermittent and with some 24 hour. I just found for me personally, the, the, the big challenge in going from 16 to 18 to the 24 hour is really psychological, mm. right? So it's just like I kind of initially, I sort of emotionally missed eating, Yeah. right? Now it's just the opposite. Now I can't imagine eating in the middle of the day. You know, I mean, it'd just be like such a buzzkill, you know, so... Um, but the, making that transition, and it's not for everybody, it requires a certain level of discipline to get through. And then, you know, there's some social pressures, and it's kind of awkward when it's like I get asked to go out to lunch. And I was like, I was all right, I don't eat lunch, but I'll be happy to come along with you. And I'll sit, I don't have any problem sitting at a lunch table and having you eat. I mean, like, I'm not like people are like, oh, aren't you tempted? I was like, I'm just really not interested. But, you know, we're tastemakers, and food is a big part of my life. But, but I eat whole natural food. I mean, I love food. I've spent my entire life loving taste. I mean, we're just obsessed with it, right? I mean, I love to eat. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just only eat once a day, and when I do, I drink a bottle of wine with it, and you know, and it's a, it's a pretty glorious feast. Yeah, I think that the you know talking about the social aspects of eating, I think that if you're gonna eat once a day, you damn sure better make it dinner. You know, oh, for sure, for sure. You know, it's it's like you know, to, to, and I know Rob Wolf is eating breakfast and lunch and skipping dinner. That makes it kind of hard. I don't, I know, I don't think he does. That's that not for me, but year, but I'm also a wine drinker, so you know, yeah. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink without eating. And drinking on an empty stomach after you fasted all day is a pretty disastrous recipe. Yeah, you know, so um, so I love to drink wine, so I need to eat with that. I need to eat. Now we recommend everybody eat when they drink. You know, mm-hmm. it's really important to kind of slow the absorption down, even of low alcohol wines. Yeah. Yeah. We had probably half a glass while we were cooking and then, uh, you know, finished the rest while we were eating and went for a little walk. It was fucking 70 degrees outside. You know, it's just absolutely beautiful. Well, the bottle of wine you got, I, I mean, I hope it was as good as I thought it was because it's one of my favorites and that producer is one of our favorites and we were, uh, so I hope you really enjoyed it. Yeah. hundred percent yeah. brother. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> so it was talk a bit about the process. You know, when people order, you guys do uh, direct-to-door shipping, 
and they can choose half and half, three white, three red, or six red or six white. How does that work? Well, we so we're a wine club. Um, if you're on our email list, we also do special offers throughout the year that that don't require a subscription. But most of most of the people who buy our wines um, are pretty regular wine drinkers, right? And so we have some customers that get up to five cases a month. You know, so that's basically a bottle a day. Uh, once you start, here's the thing: once you start drinking our wines, and based on how you feel and the lack of hangover and the pleasantness of the buzz and the, the quality of the taste, you can't really go back to drinking commercial wines. And when you do, you feel bad. And you can actually taste, they taste what people think wine tastes like today if they're drinking regular commercial wines, which is virtually everything in the market. And then they go to drink a natural wine. It's like there's a big difference in taste and how, and, and how it feels. What, just the wine you drank last night was cleaner, lighter, fresher you know you can just taste it it's just cleaner and so that appeals to a lot of people who are who are pursuing a cleaner nutritional program but how our how our program works is that you can order as frequently or infrequently as you want our two standard programs are monthly or every other month six or 12 bottles right and so, um, and about half of our customers are on monthly, and about half of them are on every other month, depending upon how much they, how much wine that they drink. Uh, the wines average, as I said, twenty-two dollars a bottle um, in in cost. All the wines are priced exactly the same, so we're not. Uh, we also curate. So every every box that you get, whether that's monthly or bi-monthly or once a quarter or whatever your frequency is. Uh, we curate a different set of wines for every box from all over the world, except the United States. We don't sell any domestic. We don't sell any domestic wines because they don't meet our health criteria, as I mentioned earlier. But so we so every box that you get is going to contain a different curation from around the world. It might be Germany, it might be Spain, it might be Italy, it might be France, it could be Croatia or Hungary or South Africa, and so there'll be a unique and different bottle in every box. You can order a mix of red and white. You can order rosé. We have sparklings. You can order all red. All red is our most popular subscription because most wine drinkers who drink on a fairly serious basis on wines probably drink more red than anything else. And so that's our most popular subscription. Yeah, I think I'm going to sign up for the old red. <laughs> I, I like it. We need to send you a box down so you can have some further samples anyway. Yes, brother. Some further testing needs yeah, to be done. Yeah, some further testing. <laughs> the, uh, but we also have, you know, we're also happy to offer a, you know, a, a special gift to your audience. We give them a penny bottle of wine, and all they have to do is go to this URL, and they'll find this offer. It includes a penny bottle. We can't give wine away legally, so we charge one penny for it. Uh, they can find that at dryfarmwines.com forward slash on it. Awesome, brother. Yeah. We'll link to that in the show notes to make it easy on people if they're driving, to can't take notes. Perfect. It has been excellent having you here. Obviously, we, we, you listed the website. Where can people find you on social media? We are Dry Farm Wines on all social media and dryfarmwines.com. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs>